times. We come to the end of the year and we have those messages where you're just taking stock of all that, all that you've, all that's happened, the highs and lows, the, the challenges, the victories of uh, of the year that's just gone, and um, and, and I do, I want to do that this morning. Uh, I don't know that's because I'm, I'm now I'm now thirty five. That this I feel this is the first year it's felt like I've started to think in terms of decades. Like I feel like as we approach the end of this decade, it feels like I'm looking back and taking stock of the last ten years. And uh, and I feel like honestly, I feel like I've never I've never done that before. I don't know if thirty five is the point that that happens, or whether it's just whether it's just me. Um, um, looking around the room, and maybe the use of there's people in the room that you've been thinking for decades for a longer period of time than I have been. But I'm, I'm really grateful, I'm really grateful for, as I reflect in the last 10 years. In the last 10 years, I've, uh, me and Judith mm-hmm. have had the joy of um, parenting four children. Uh, we've celebrated uh, in the midst of this, the last 10 years, we've celebrated 10 years of marriage. Uh, we have experienced uh, some loss, we've experienced some challenges. Um, we've, we've moved house, we've just changed job. In the last 10 years, we've taken on leadership in the church. Uh, in the last 10 years, we've, uh, we've dropped in and moved into Ballyhodge Castle. We've, as you take stock of the last 10 years, it's, uh, it's remarkable to reflect on how good and faithful God has been. In, in those wonderful moments and how kind and generous he has been uh, in those more challenging moments and um, I certainly feel like I'm, uh, I'm taking stock of the last of the last 10 years um, and maybe that would be helpful for some people to, to do maybe the, the last year has been so difficult and you find it really hard to see the goodness and the kindness maybe hard, find it hard to see where where God has been, and we just need to, we just need to take stock of the last hand. Um, yeah, let me let, let's go to let's go to Luke chapter eighteen. There's four places I want to go to in, in Luke this morning. Um, let me let me pray. Father, I thank you for uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for what we've um, thank you for what we've been saying this morning. Uh, and God, you've seen the you've seen the. The reflection, the attitude, the the posture of our hearts as we have, as we have, uh, as we sang those words. And God, that real conscious choice of standing, abandoned. God, that sense of surrender that we've sang about, that we've that we've declared with our lips. God, and I pray that it would be, it truly would be the reflection of our hearts. It would truly be a hunger so deep within us, God, to stand at the at the edge of this, at the edge of a, a, a new year, the edge of a new decade. God, and I think that the most important thing that we could do, the most significant thing that we could actually do, would be to stand abandoned. To the one who gave it all. Father, faith gap would be the most important thing that we do as we approach a new year. And so God, I pray that the, 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 
the, the, the words that we've sang with our lips, God, would truly be the meditation and the hunger and the longing of our hearts. Father, we stir something within us as we, as we come to, to some of these stories, some of these encounters that we've had uh, with, with individuals and with groups of people as you walked, as you walked and talked in, uh, amongst the towns and villages where you went to bring hope, bring life, bring light. So God, I pray that we would get caught up in that story this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. I, uh, all week there's a, there, was a, there was a message that I was preparing, I was planning on, and um, I shared a wee bit with, uh, with David and Neville yesterday. And um, as, I was, as I was trying to articulate what I wanted to share this morning, um, I don't know whether it was because they were tired because we, they, would play, they were playing football for so long. Uh, and their bodies weren't used to it, or because they genuinely weren't trying to, or genuinely didn't get what I was trying to say. So, uh, so because I'm such a people pleaser, I went home last night. Like them boys, them boys looked at me blankly whenever I was trying to articulate what I wanted to share this morning. That uh, that I just went back to oh, back to the Lord God is or something else that maybe I could share this morning. That's the joy of of uh, being able to be honest with one another, isn't it? And. Uh, the boys didn't really have a clue what I was talking about, so now we park that message for another day. And uh, but but honestly, in, in saying that, I, I did feel like I did feel like the Lord's the Lord did speak last night as I as I was waiting upon him for this morning. Um, so let's go to Luke 18. Uh, I want to go backwards. Hopefully, there's some sort of method in doing this. But I want to go back. I want to go backwards. I want us to go to Luke 18, to Luke 10. To Luke 6 and then finishing off with Luke 4. I'll not read the second time, I'll not read, I'll not read all the read all the stories. But just struck by this question that the that the, that this ruler, a certain ruler, asked Jesus in Luke 18, verse 18. He said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit? Eternal life, and I really do think that this these, this uh, this ruler was taking stock. He was beginning to reflect on his life as he began to look out among all that was going on in and around Jesus. As he was reflecting on his own attitude towards Jesus, as he was reflecting on his, on what was going on in him, as he was reflecting on what he was witnessing uh, through the testimony and the witness and the life of Jesus. He approached Jesus with this question. He took stock of his life. What must I do to get in on this? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And I think it's really important actually to say that this, the idea here that the question that is being asked is being asked in the present tense. The eternal life that this certain ruler was talking about was present tense. See, this, this, this ruler was not approaching um, was not approaching Jesus saying, what must I do to get to heaven when I die? That's not what he was doing. He was asking the question present tense. So the idea of, the idea of this question was not, was not focusing on the future necessarily, but it was rather on the quality of the age that they, that they were in. 
This is that believers now live, believers now live in eternal life according, especially according to the Gospel of John. You'll see it more frequently in the Gospel of John. You'll see it in John 3, you'll see it in John 5, uh, John 5 and John 6. Whoever hears my word and believes, he has eternal life. It's not something that it's not something that we're waiting for, it's something that was being experienced right now. It was for the present age. It was speaking of the quality of life in the present age. And so this guy was asking, what must I do? What must I do to inherit this? All that's going on around you, Jesus. The life that, that you've, you've changed, this, you've reversed the status. Now the, the poor and the lonely now seem to have a place around the table with you, Jesus. Something is going on around you. There's been healings, people are being set free. Blind eyes are opening, the captives are being released. The oppressed are being set free. How do I get in on this? You've called those that were those that were in lowly positions and uh, fishermen. You've called those who were fishermen to be part of what's going on. You've called those that, that were that were pretty much enemies to one another. You've called them to be part of this circle of people that get to follow you and get to do the things that you're doing. What is it that I need to do to be part of that? What is it that I need to do to inherit this life now? It is the quality of God's life now as a present, as a present possession. It's something we take hold of now. And I think it's important for us to hear that. John, John 6 says, He who believes has eternal life. Just found myself so, uh, just so drawn to that, that present tense of the eternal life that Jesus that Jesus offers and Jesus brings to those of us that are, to those of us that are following him. As the story goes on, Jesus, uh, why, do you, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God. And then he told this, he told this guy, you know the commandments, you do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. And the boy, or the, this young ruler says, I've done all of this since I was a boy. And Jesus says, you still lack one thing. Sell everything that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. <clears throat> and when he heard this, and many of you will be familiar with this story. When he heard this, excuse me, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I think there's another version of this story, or maybe it's in another, uh, it's in another translation of Jesus. It says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. It, it grieved the heart of Jesus that this guy would give up the one thing that, that, he, uh, that would have been important for him, that was necessary for him to inherit this eternal life now that Jesus was offering. And I think the challenge, there's another challenge I think for me in here, I think there's another challenge for us in here. So I think as I look around the room and more of people that, that, that do value the scriptures, that do know the scriptures, that have been in and around church long enough to have a, gra- a, a good grasp of the scriptures. But I think what Jesus is, what is, what Jesus is communicating to the rich young ruler here I'm not saying, necessarily saying that he is saying this, this is a message for us all, that we leave here this morning, sit, like everything that you've got over Christmas, get rid of it, sell it all and give all to the poor. But I think what Jesus is trying to communicate to this, 
to this young man and for the people that were around him and even for us right now is that a knowledge of scripture should lead to us pursuing justice for the poor. A knowledge of scripture, Jesus said, yes, you've done all of this. You've been following all of this religiously since you were a boy, but there's still one thing that you lacked. It hasn't resulted in justice for the poor. So I don't think he said it's necessarily a broad sweeping statement for us all to go and sell everything that we have, to give it all away. But I do think that if it, an understanding of the scripture, an understanding of who God is and what he's called us to do has to lead to justice for the poor. And then I love Peter's response. And I think that is a challenge for us today as we reflect on that song. I think there's something powerful about that song that we've sang. I'll stand with arms high. I do believe, as I've already prayed, I do believe that it is the it is the most significant thing that we could do as we approach a new year, as we approach a new decade, that we would just stand. We would stand abandoned. And that is the something to the, something like the response that, that Peter gives. Peter says in response to this conversation that Jesus has had with this young ruler, Peter says, Jesus, we have left all to follow you. We have left all to follow you. And as as there's a moment here of taking stock of our lives, I'm wondering, is that, could that be said of us? As we take, as we think back over the last 10 years, as we even think of where we where we were 10 years ago in our relationship with God and our pursuit of him. As you, as you reflect on that, is there stuff that you've been able to continue to give away? Or is there, is there still stuff that you are holding on to? Is there still stuff that I'm holding on to? Peter declared as they were in this moment of reflection with this young ruler, Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. We've given up everything in pursuit of your call, your kingdom mandate. We've given up it all. Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter 10, again, a story that I think many of you will be familiar with. <clears throat> and it starts the same way as, as the previous story that we've just looked at. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It was a similar, <coughs> similar question. And again, Jesus answers, um, what, is, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And this teacher, this expert in the law, love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. <coughs> You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But the guy wanted to continue the conversation. Jesus seems to be willing to leave the conversation there, but this guy wanted to this guy wanted to justify himself, as it says in the NIV. He wanted to justify himself. And uh, and then we have this story of the, the Samaritan. This man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell into the hands of robbers. She left him for dead. A priest was going by and moved to the other side of the road. The Levite, our worship leader, was going down the other side, Was came to the place, saw the man, passed by another side. But a Samaritan uh, 
As he traveled, he came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, balanced his wounds, pouring on all oil and wine. And he went, took, the, took his guy and his donkey, and brought him to the inn, paid for his keep, paid for whatever, whatever else needed to be done to bring healing to this, to this man. I will reimburse you for any extra expense. And then he asked the question, Jesus asked, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law said, the one who had mercy. <clears throat> the expert in the law couldn't even say the Samaritan. Because we, we, I don't, we do not, maybe some of us in the room do, maybe some of us that have been in, in places of conflict, maybe some of us even in our, actually that live here, are so aware of the, the conflict that, that, that know what maybe this was like. Some of us may be young. Um, but the animosity between the Jew and the Samaritan was, was extreme. The hatred, the animosity that they felt towards one another was extreme. And again, I don't know think, I don't know if we realize what Jesus was doing here because to call someone your neighbor was to literally call them a fellow Jew. As you can imagine, if you can imagine this for this expert in the law who was now being forced to, to answer this question that Jesus was provoking. Not only is he not only is he is he showing the Samaritan as the hero of the story to these Jewish listeners, the horror of that, but actually then to say, who is your neighbor? Which one of these was the neighbor? And to answer that question meant to call them a neighbor meant to refer to them as a fellow Jew, one who had every right to inherit all that they were going to inherit. And, that, and that's what Jesus was all about. Jesus was all about, he was all about coming to the lost sheep of Israel. He was all, always about taking them to the nations. And the Jewish people and the people that were around Jesus at that, at that time just couldn't, they couldn't get it. It's really, it really important what Jesus was doing here. And I think it really is important for us as we reflect on the end of a, at the end of a year, at the end of a decade, as we consider our relationships with our neighbors, as we consider our relationships with one another. My wife could do that. So again, the challenge, I think there's another challenge for us, for us, for us all here, for us all who know the scriptures, who value the scriptures, who have a grasp of the word. In the same way that this, in the same way that the, the young ruler had a grasp of the scripture, but it didn't have, it never led to justice for the poor. Same again with this, with this expert in the law. He knew the commandments, he knew the law, he knew the Torah. He had a grasp of it all, he had an understanding of it. But actually it never it never made him it never made him value his neighbor. It never made him eat with the sinners that Jesus ate with. It never made him love his enemies in the way that Jesus was calling people to love his enemies. This was Jesus' reply to the expert in the law. The neighbor was the one who had mercy. The neighbor was the Samaritan. The neighbor was our enemy, essentially. And Jesus' simple response is, was and is, go and 
do likewise. And honestly, as again, as we approach, as we challenge ourselves, as we provoke ourselves, as we provoke one another, as we approach a new year, as we approach a new decade, as we approach a new season in this place, <coughs> that that will be the same challenge for us. To those that you have maybe kept at arm's length, to those that maybe you would use the language of enemies, but to those that you have resisted or rejected, there is a challenge for us. What must I do to be part of all that Jesus was doing? What must I do to inherit this, this God's life now? To take it as a present possession for now? What is it that I need to do? And I think Jesus answers that question as we've looked at in Luke 18. And I think there's a challenge for us there. And I think there's a challenge for us again in this story of the Good Samaritan. Um, so that, let's, let's go. I'd love to read this a longer portion of this, uh, of this story in Luke chapter 6. Very similar to the very similar to the Sermon on the Mount that we read in Matthew 5, 6 and 7. Um, and I think, I think the Sermon on the Mount, that was so core to the teaching and the politics and the ways of Jesus that, um, that, that Luke is probably telling, it, probably telling it a different account rather than just relaying it with a slightly, um, slightly different location with not, not exactly the same as we read it in Matthew 5. Yeah. Yeah, so let me, let's, let's read it. He went down, Luke chapter 6, verse 17. He went down with them and stood in a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. I just want you to take note, looking at his disciples, looking at his disciples, Jesus said, there was a massive crowd, the large crowd, Jesus was, Jesus was bringing healing, he was setting people free, he was, um, power was coming from him. But then Jesus turns, and I, I just had never seen this before. Jesus, in verse 20, says that he was looking at his disciples when he said this next bit. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you, and insult you, and reject your name as evil, because of the Son of Man. He goes on to say, Rejoice in that day, leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who will laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. And then Jesus goes on. These, this, this bar that he sets incredibly high for us. You're following and pursuing him. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who ill treat you. If someone strikes you in one cheek, turn to him the other. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, 
what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom, from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. He turns and he looks at his disciples. He says, blessed are those who are poor. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. As I was reading through this, couldn't help but think of couldn't help but think of Mary's uh, song uh, in Luke chapter one, where Mary acknowledges that there's going to be this status reversal. We spoke about that last week. There's going to be a status reversal. Those that were those that were of noble. Uh, high standing would be brought low. Those that have experienced oppression and low loneliness uh, would be would be brought high. Those that were poor would be would experience the kingdom of God. But what I actually I actually think there's more going on here. I think as Jesus turns to look at the disciples, not only is there a status reversal because Jesus is king. I also think that this is what life could look like. This is what it could be like for those who are truly following Jesus, to those who are truly his disciples, to those who are truly pursuing him. This is what life could be like. Because the the challenge that Jesus goes on to say is that um, if 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 someone takes your cloak, then give them your tunic. If someone... Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Any wonder that Jesus turns to the disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor. So if you're gonna be if you're gonna be these if you're gonna be the ones that get are just giving away all your clothes, if you're gonna be the people that lend stuff that don't get it back. <coughs> I think that was Jesus turned to his disciples. I think he was saying that the, the lifestyle that you have decided, going back to what Peter said, is we've left everything to follow you. We've left it all. There's certain sacrifices that we have that we have made that means com- in comparison, I suppose, to other people, we're, we're not going to have as much. We're not going to have as many possessions. We're not going to have as much of the things of this world that maybe everybody else has. And maybe I'm being maybe I've been too literal with this. Tell me if I am. But I do think that there was something about Jesus turning to his disciples and saying, if this is the life that you're choosing, this kingdom life is the one that you're choosing, then you need to know that it could mean that you don't have as much. It could mean that you need to go without. It could mean you need to sacrifice for the sake of the poor. It could mean you need to have less of so that the oppressed could have something. That's the life I think that Jesus was telling his disciples that they were that they were going to be involved in. But blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who, who hunger now. Blessed are you who weep now. Blessed are you when you are insulted. Blessed are you when people just don't get what you're doing. 
because you will be able to rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. That's why I think as Jesus turned to look at his disciples, this was not just a general, this was not just a general word for the masses. This was for those who are intentionally, purposefully, wholeheartedly, fully abandoned. This is what life would be like. But blessed are you who have decided to give it all up for the sake of following Jesus. And Luke chapter 4. After Jesus has experienced the temptation in the wilderness, he returns to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. He stands up in the synagogue and he goes to the place in the scroll uh, to the prophet Isaiah. And unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's so last night I just, I just felt so exercised by that, by that uh, call, that kingdom call, that mandate that was on Jesus and that is now on us. Don't forget that Jesus said himself, as the Father has sent me, so I have sent you. And so as I reflect on the next year, but I think as I reflect on the next 10 years, and I've turned to Luke chapter 4 and see this is the life that Jesus committed himself to, and this is the life that Jesus is calling us to. That the Spirit would be on us, not so that we have a good Sunday service. The Spirit would be on us, not just so that we have experience of the prophetic experience of healing as much as we want that we're longing for that, desperate for that but actually it's on us so that we can go and bring good news to the poor, it's on us so that we can go and proclaim freedom to the prisoner, to those that are locked behind doors of loneliness and pain and hurt to go and bring release. The Spirit is on us for that. The Spirit is, is on us to bring sight to the blind, to bring release to the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's fear, to proclaim that the Lord is truly among us. It's coming, into, coming out of this Christmas season. I don't even know if I want to say coming out of this Christmas season, because Emmanuel, God with us, is, is something we carry. We celebrate all year long that Emmanuel, that he is with us. He is on us. And he is with us. And so as I consider the, the next 10 the next year, the next 10 years, I find myself going to these, to these stories in Luke's gospel. And going to Jesus and saying, Jesus, what must I do? That's the question I've been asking myself for the last couple of days. Jesus, what must I do? And I think just really simply, I thought it would just brought me to those few stories. What must I do? Maybe you're going to have to give it all up. There's still stuff that you're going to have to abandon to give up or follow me. Jesus, what, 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 what must I do? Is there another way? What must I do, Jesus? Bring justice to the poor. If you want to say you value the word, if you want to say that you 
the understanding, any sort of grasp, it has to look like justice for the poor, freedom for the oppressed. It has to lead like that, or you still have missed it. Jesus, what must I do to be a part of all that you're still doing? <coughs> Jesus, you're still at work, and what is it that I must do to be a part of that? To be in and around all that you're doing, all that you're, all that you're wanting to continue to do. I really love your neighbor. Like go out of your way. At expense to yourself, go out of your way to bless and to love. And as I go to the to the sermon and stuff on the mountain, Luke 6, the sermon and the plain, and see what it could look like to, to live like this. But come to Jesus and look forward and see how the Spirit was on him. His kingdom mandate that it was on Jesus. It's the same calling, the kingdom calling that is on us. As for the two questions that, that I think we've asked before, as we stand at the, at the edge of a new year and a new decade, I think there's something really important for us to ask that question, what is he saying? As we come to him with that question, what must I do? Then I think we're left with, we're left with these, these two questions. What is it that he is saying and how will I respond? What is it that he's saying and how will I respond? And I love those two questions. I'm going to finish with this. I love those two questions because those two questions gives every one of us a, place, a starting place. No matter, no matter where we're at, no matter where we're at, whether this is going over our heads this morning or whether we're really going to grasp this and wrestle with this, these two questions give all of us a place to start. What's he saying and how will I respond? It gives every one of us a place to start. And I think what it does is it forces us deeper into the Word, but it forces us deeper into the Spirit. It forces us deeper into the things in the person of Jesus when we ask that question. If we truly are asking that question, Jesus, what is it that you're saying and how am I going to respond? It inevitably is is going to push you deeper into the Word, into Jesus, and into the Spirit. And then I'm convinced of this. That as we continue to ask that question, continue to, to hold that question, that it pushes us into faith and into action. We inevitably, stuff just begins to happen because Jesus is speaking, he's always speaking, he's always wanting to communicate his heart to each one of us. And so I think those three things will happen as we begin to ask that question, Jesus, what must I do? And I believe if we come to him with that question and he will speak, he will reveal himself. And so we come away, Jesus, what is it that you're saying? What am I going to do? How will I respond? Convinced that these three things could happen. We're all going to be, it all gives us all a place to start. It pushes us deeper into the scripture, into Jesus, and into the spirit. And it pushes us into faith and into action. So Father, uh, help us Holy Spirit, I pray that you would so uh, provoke, prod, and God just uh, gently lead us uh, to be more like Jesus. Father, I pray that you would help us just to begin to really wrestle through some questions. Father, to really wrestle through 
to really reflect, to really reflect on where we are, to really reflect on where we want to be. God, we really honest in that. We wouldn't just say where we want to be because it's the right answer. God, what we would say, we begin to, we begin to wet our appetite, we begin to start hunger and faith within us. And that's what God, we continue to pray and then join with the prayers of many in this, in this book. Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord, because we're, we're listening. We want to hear. We want to hear. Some of us are so ready to hear. We bless you.